episode 25, Val Reese, Executive Muse. I'm humbly going to admit that my my favorite mistake and my biggest mistake was my first time in a leadership position, which was in college. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Since this is episode 25, you can find show notes and more at markgraben.com slash mistake 25. Thanks for listening. And now on with the show. Well, hi, welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Graben. Our guest today is Val Reese. She is a leadership trainer. She's an executive coach. She's a nurse by background with an MBA. And as her LinkedIn Uh, description says uh, she describes herself as a management muse and her firm is called Executive Muse. Um, So Val, first off, thank you for being a guest here on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to um, hear uh, your story. But first off, the word muse um, caught my interest. So um, to you, you what, what, what does that word mean? Why does that resonate with you in terms of the work that you do? Yeah. Well, I think of a muse, for some reason, I have this image of a bunch of people hiking a mountain, like a 14er, and the muse is the person that might even be behind them and letting them lead the way. So the muse is is sometimes getting out of the background. They are encouraging from behind and they're letting the people make the decision. So Think that's what I think of when I think of a muse, yeah. someone that just inspires us to be the best we can be. Um, and sometimes that's failing and allowing the failure to happen. So, yeah. So when it comes to failures or mistakes or however we want to frame that, um, maybe that's a good segue to our usual lead off question. Val, what's your favorite mistake? Yeah, I was actually really excited when I saw this question because um, I'm humbly going to admit that my my favorite mistake and my biggest mistake was my first time in a leadership position, which was in college. I was president of my sorority and I had about 70 women from between the ages of 18 to 21 that I was um, responsible for. And uh, I didn't really know what I was doing, Mark. <laughs> I, that was my first time as a leader and I, I just really messed it up. <laughs> so what happened <laughs> or what did? Okay. So this story sticks out. Um, we, in the beginning of the year, uh, we have a retreat and we try to go away with all of the, the women as like a team bonding experience. And, uh, I asked the committee that was in charge of this retreat to plan like a, a camping a trust circle rope course retreat. And then it was the summer and I decided to go on my merry way that summer and go backpacking in Europe and leave the committee to do its thing. And when I come back, uh, they did not plan this 
this retreat in, in the woods, in the wilderness, they planned a trip to Atlantic City instead. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, I was frustrated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, w- I was really, um, I, have a, I had a responsibility to ensure the safety of, of all these women. Plus we, we had a, a board of alumni that also needed to approve these types of events and they were not gonna approve a trip to Atlantic City where there was alcohol and gambling, things like that. So I had to tell the, the committee that, hey, what happened to following my orders and what happened to this cabin and retreat and we can't do this this thing in Atlantic City. And uh, they were very mad at me that I didn't just go with the flow, that I didn't allow it. Yeah, so it turned into a mess. Mark, a big mess. Um, and what ensued after that was uh, a bit of um, a lot of gossip of how I was mean or that I I wasn't cool or whatever you know you say when you're that age. And yeah. uh, instead of going to Atlantic City, we wound up in a hotel, uh, basically renting rooms and the the overall mood was very grim and there were silos and there was a lot of there was a lot of people that were divided like almost like pro-val anti-val and and I didn't know what to do um and so I just did what I thought was best and I got everybody into a room and started yelling at them Mm. and just told them how disappointed I was and how they're acting ridiculous and, and it really backfired and it, it, it was not a technique that worked at all. Yeah. So I would say that's my favorite mistake because it taught me a lot about leadership at a very young age. Sure. Well, and I mean, you know, I, you know, to be fair, I mean, like you, what, you, what you're describing is, you know, I think the growing pains that most any leader goes through as we're trying to find us find our leadership style or a leadership style um and you know we 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 learn by making mistakes i, I similar i've kind of similar stories come to mind so yeah i would say you know don't don't beat yourself up too badly here for um for what happened there you know the the, the key thing maybe we can explore a little bit um are the lessons learned as you know did did, did you adjust your style during that year as sorority president or were those lessons that kind of stayed with you as you then eventually got out into the workplace into leadership roles? Yeah, unfortunately, time was kind of up and I graduated and I, I always felt this pit in my stomach that I, I couldn't unify a group and that I had some somehow just did things wrong. So the lessons came later when I was promoted into my first management role and a group of 10 that I was leading. And uh, I, I learned things and, and reflected on the way that first experience was to ensure that I wasn't doing the same thing. Um, Cause it, it's, it, I see it all the time. My clients talk to me about how, you know, they don't like their boss because their boss is not approachable or they don't feel valued at work and the, those sorts of things. So uh, the lessons came later. Yeah. And, you know, 
I think well, I think of role models um, that I had in my first job out of college. Many of those leaders would have also defined leadership um, as giving orders. As, you know, you mm-hmm. used that phrase, and you know, I, I saw how that was troublesome in different ways. Um, and and thankfully, then I had um, some role models you know, who showed different leadership styles. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious how your views evolve kind of, you know, through experience or seeing other examples of leadership of, you know, the difference between giving orders and, and being more of a coach or I have to use your word being amused that inspires employees. Yeah. And of course, like, as I went on to work in the corporate world, I mean, even as a nurse, I saw doctors that were, were mean and just gave orders and um, intimidated nurses. And I, I saw, and then I saw doctors that were really easy to work with and, um, and you weren't so afraid to, to say the wrong thing or make a mistake. And, and then when I got into the corporate world, I worked for wonderful leaders and not so wonderful leaders. Um, I, I, I came to remind myself what it is that people crave from a leader. Um, I even roll out this acronym in, in the book and in my trainings. Um, and I think it comes down to these five things. They crave connection. They want to know that that leader is unifying people, that they're, they're part of a team, they're part of something bigger than themselves. They crave reliability. They want to know their leader is going to show up um, and not disappear for six weeks on a backpacking trip in Europe and leave them. Um, they crave appreciation. They want to know that you value what they say and that you you acknowledge their hard work. Um, they crave, they want to be valued. They want to know that they're part of the organization, that they're bringing value, that you recognize that. And, and then the last thing is they crave effective communication. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think all five of those things were missing in my leadership style. Mm-hmm. And I started to, to write down like all the things that I enjoyed and all the leaders and what was it? What were those characteristics? And this, just this, this idea of crave came to me. It's like, these, this is what employees are craving. Like we need to give them more of these things. They, they're valued assets. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they feel this way with, with my leadership. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, you're talking about being out of communication, I guess if we're thinking ahead to more recent or the next sorority president who comes in and has to figure out how to be a leader, it's harder to disconnect and um, be unreachable for six weeks. Maybe some people crave that when they have a chance to get away for a trip um, in, in the future. But um, it sounds like some of the other approaches or, or something where it would be helpful, or I guess my question for you is, like, you know, what, what could be done I'm not asking you, you know, if, if you were doing it, but thinking about the next incoming sorority president, like what kind of resources could be available to sort of um, teach someone how to be a sorority president? Or I wonder if there's leadership coaching that's provided from like a national yeah. sorority perspective. Just wondering. For, for me at that time, there wasn't. Maybe it's different now, uh, but or, you know, maybe it was specific to my sorority, but there wasn't really anyone for me to talk to that could give me that coaching. But 
I, I mean, gosh, you can walk through this model and just ask them the questions. Like, how do you think you can unify people? What do you think they're looking for from you? A lot of empathy and putting yourself in their shoes and, um, what would it take to be reliable and to appreciate people and to acknowledge people and um, what unifies people? What's the purpose you guys are serving? Have them share these, these, these ideas. And then um, what does it look like to effectively communicate and give continuous updates and reminders? Uh, even just little things like celebrating people's birthdays or um, academic accomplishments. I mean, these are all things that, uh, bring a community of people together and 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 let let each other know that you care about each other, right? Yeah. So um, I I would uh, I would I would ask that sorority present to listen better and listen more and listen with an open mind and acknowledge people and ensure that even if they don't agree with their perspective, that it's okay to say, hey, that's a great idea. Uh, let's open it up to some other ideas and see what's best uh, versus like, no, we're not doing that. That's not going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Think, thinking back to um, you telling the story, it sounds like your response wasn't one of asking, well, well tell me where this Atlantic city idea came from, or why do you think that's a better alternative or, or trying to ask questions to understand you came back and said, no, that wasn't the plan. Yeah. Yeah. I was mad because yeah. they didn't follow my orders, you know? So I, I let them know that I was angry with them and that I was disappointed and discouraged. And that just, that just makes people bite back. There's, there's a way to do it. There's a way to communicate in a healthy way. Sure. And I, I didn't have the tools for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, um, you know, a couple of workplace issues that, that come to mind. Maybe you have You've seen um, other challenges or maybe good things happening where um, frontline employee, like, you know, I work with hospitals a lot. It could be a nurse. They're now made um, nurse manager mm -hmm. and they're more or less told, you know, they may get a class about filling out, taking care of payroll or something very tactical like that. But other than that, it might be a matter of, OK, go figure it out. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe that nurse had a good role model as a nurse manager, maybe the director that they're reporting to is a good role model, maybe not. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's a tough position where, um, you know, someone gets a formal leadership role and is kind of left to their own as opposed to organizations that are more intentional about helping provide some structure and making clear, mm -hmm. you know, what, what mindsets or what behaviors are most effective in the organization. Not that we're going to turn every manager or leader into a carbon copy, but it seems like more structure can, can quite often be more helpful. What, what do you think? What's your experience? I think so many individual contributors are thrown into leadership roles and they were driven and ambitious and they hit their sales quota or they, they, they got good customer service reviews. And then the company says, Oh, okay, you're an A player. You have a lot of, um, great qualities, go be a leader. And then they don't, they don't know, no one's teaching. I mean, some of it's innate and intuitive. And like you said, you look at your role model, but it's so common. It's, it's, I see it everywhere. And, and I guess in one way I'm fortunate because it keeps my business alive, but in another way, I, I, I wish there was more foundational things that organizations would do uh, to set these leaders and the employees up for success. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So 
I think that that's that's a really good way of putting it. Are we setting people up for success mm-hmm. as opposed and it doesn't mean everybody will succeed, but I think when there's more intention around developing frontline leaders, it's uh, more likely to lead to a good outcome in, instead of a kind of sink or swim 50-50 or whatever the odds might be. And if, oh, if someone can't hack it, they'll they'll get frustrated and go back to nursing. Well, that that might be lost potential for that leader and for the organization. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of this comes down to communication. I mean, we, and if there's some sort of conflict or disconnect, we, we can get passive or we don't want, we don't know what to say. We get conflict avoidant and we don't want to address things. And we, then if we address things, will the other person become defensive? It's, and no one's giving us the tools on how to handle this. And, uh, and, and then maybe I shouldn't say no one. I mean, there's a lot of organizations that actually do give some training, but I would say it's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And also like, Mark, we weren't taught in like grade school how to have effective communication, <laughs> right? Like that, that it would have been so great to learn that at that age, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You're getting in a fight with a friend or your disagreement with your parent. It's like, hey, here's how to have this conversation in the way that's going to, move it forward in an impactful way. Yeah. Those, uh, those soft skills, if you will, and people skills. And I mean, I think, you know, like, you know, my background originally as an engineer, engineering schools have focused a lot more on helping people um, be effective working in teams and um, communicating and leading and instead of just relying on building individual technical expertise. So that's probably a good evolution of engineering education, I would think. Yes, I agree. Um, So I want to talk a little bit more about the work that you do through your firm, Executive Muse. Um, You know, as a leadership trainer, as an executive coach, what types of situations do you get called in uh, to to help people with? Yeah, I would say typically it's the executive calling. So it's usually a director or a VP uh, or a marketing uh, officer that is frustrated with some of the challenges they're having within their team. So this could be uh, lack of communication, um, attrition, they're losing people, they can't find and retain good talent. Um, maybe there's some insubordination or the leader just feels like the, the leaders that they have under them are not as impactful and effective as they could be. And they want to give them some of those tools. So um, that's when they call me in. I I work with the executive to understand their vision, where it is now and where they would love it to go. And then we customize training to uh, know exactly like, okay, let's start with this class and then let's um, add add it and enhance it with this class. And, some companies then also choose to have the coaching as a complement to the trainings to, to really ensure that habits are changing and cultures are changing. And, um, and I see that, I see that happening. I see the transformation happening. So it's really fun. Well, cool. And it seems like um, any sort of personal transformation or change as a leader um, requires some coaching and support and reinforcement. It's not enough to sit in a class and, Kind of, you know, take something in through the ears and say, "Oh, right, yeah, I'm, I've, right. I've, I've developed new habits overnight." It's a struggle for people. I 
to be fair to them, I think, right? It is. And I, I try to build the training. So there's a lot of self-reflection happening and, and uh, areas for them to write and get their thoughts out. Cause I think that's part of just the reinforcing of the learning. So you're not just listening to somebody talk for a few hours, right. but then what happens is like, let's say I'm teaching a class on have, how to have effective conversations. Um, and they, everyone learns the tips and then they turn to their partner and they share and they, and they talk it out. But then when we coach, it's like, okay, tell me exactly what's going on with this person. What's this person's personality? What are all your frustrations about this personality? It can really get in to their world and understand and then alleviate all that in an hour and give them all the, the confidence and tools to have an effective conversation right away. And it's beautiful to watch people come back and say, my relationship with this person was not good at all. And within one conversation, it completely changed my relationship. So uh, it does, it does enhance it. Yeah. Coaching. Yeah. Um, so I also want to ask you about uh, your book. So um, April, 2021, Chief Inspiration yeah. Officer. Yeah. Um, tell, tell us, I'm, I always love asking authors, like what was the inspiration for, uh, for writing the book and, and what, what you know, why it's, it's a big accomplishment. It's a lot of effort. So what, what's the story behind the book? Yeah, uh, I've been in business for seven years and teaching these classes and the students in the class kept saying, is there a book we can read on what you're teaching? And I'm all about recommending other people's books. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. But about three years ago, I thought I really need to put this, put all the stuff I'm teaching into a book. It took me three years to write it. Yeah. And uh, I, it's a labor of love. I had no idea <laughs> how long that would take, but uh, it's in the publisher's hands and they are looking at an April, 2021 release. So I'm super excited. Yeah. So, and, and who do you think um, the, the target reader is uh, leaders in any sort of organization or, or who do you think it's um, best situated? Who, who's the book best suited for? The, the early reviews that are coming back feel like it's it's anyone in a leadership role. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's very broad. Um, I My examples tend to drive more towards uh, sales leaders because um, when I left nursing, I went into medical sales and then was promoted into various management positions wow. with that. But uh, I think any leader that is looking to unify a team and ensure that they're thriving and that they're getting the most out of their people and they want to build a top performing team would be able to use the practical advice in here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thinking back to your time writing or everything involved in in producing the book, were there any lessons learned, um, writing mistakes or book Mm -hmm. design mistakes that you would pass along to other authors? Yeah. Oh, such a good question because um, it ties back into your podcast topic, right? Yeah, I can't help I just, Yeah, you can't help it, Mark. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I remember the first year I had a writing coach. He just kept saying, just, just get it out, get it out, get it out. And I was so afraid to say the wrong thing or to express mm-hmm. something in the wrong way. And I was afraid that it wasn't going to be impactful. And I was just holding myself back. Mm -hmm. I'm just, just saying what I wanted to say and getting these stories out in an authentic way. And, um, I, I think that was a mistake because it, it, it dragged on the process longer. Mm -hmm. Um, 
nothing's perfect in life. We're not perfect. And maybe we'll say it wrong, but, but if, if it could just help one person, if it can make a difference for that one person, then you say it and, and maybe it'll help people be more open or more authentic, but I had to get over that, um, that fraud complex. Um, who am I to write a book, all that insecurity. Um, it's just, it was part of my journey. Yeah. But I'm glad you've navigated that. And, um, like you said, it's in the publisher's hands and, uh, be available in a couple of months. So that's, that's right. That's right. And I'm offering a free chapter on my website. So, uh, people I just, can get that now. They can. Yeah. Oh, great. You can go to my website, um, executive muse.com mm-hmm. and they can download the free chapter and we'll send it to you and they get a sneak peek. And, and the re- I did the first chapter because it really summarizes the, the mindset of the entire book. And I, I, I think it's great to just get started with that. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I hope people will check that out. So um, our, our guest has been Val Reese. Um, the word muse, you know, has been, uh, it's an interesting word to think about. And as you said earlier, Val, of um, inspiring others, Mm-hmm. writing a book about inspiration that'll inspire others. Um, that sounds great. So congratulations uh, in, in advance. Well, for one, congratulations on, on getting the book wrapped up. You know, one mistake I think I made at one point as an author is being afraid to say, okay, that's enough. <laughs> Let me, because yeah. you could keep working on it forever. Or at least there's a risk or tendency to do that. I think sometimes. I absolutely agree with you on that. <laughs> I'm still doing it. I'm <laughs> like seeing the final edits. I'm like, oh, I change this and tweak this. And it's like, I'll never launch this book. <laughs> I just need to go with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you got past um, holding yourself back to write it and um, that it's it's on its way out into the world. So um, Val, thank you again for uh, being a guest, for sharing um, your, your story about um, early leadership experiences and most importantly, what you've learned from that um, going forward. So I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks again. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. And I enjoyed connecting with you. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.